0: nox game design september 2020 monogame welcome everyone to nox game design for september 2020 my name is levi smith so this month's topic is going to be monogame so a little bit of background on monogame um it's an open source version of xna of xna4 framework so xna was a game development uh uh, library and framework created by Microsoft, and it was really cool because back in the day, it would allow you to create and publish games as an indie developer to the Xbox Live Indie Game Marketplace, which was on the Xbox 360. So it was like real, the first time people, just like regular people at home, could make a game and then publish it on the on a home console, uh, the Xbox 360. So that's pretty cool. But the problem is is that program shut down a few years ago. So a lot of people have old games created with XNA and and you aren't able to run those anymore. So with Monogame, which is an open source version that implements XNA, the XNA libraries, you can take those older games and bring them back to life. And I'll be showing uh, maybe some examples a little bit later of how to do that. Uh, Monogame uses, as XNA did, C-sharp for the game development environment. Uh, you can find Monogame at www.monogame.net. And it, it originally started in 2009 as XNA Touch. So here's a list of pros and cons that I came up with for Monogame. Uh, one good thing, and these can apply to both Monogame and XNA, uh, It handles a gamepad right out of the box, which some game development environments you have to do a little bit more to get your gamepad working, but straight out of the box, uh, by default, it detects a gamepad, such as the Xbox 360 gamepad. One nice thing about monogame, as opposed to the old XNA, you can publish your games to multiple systems, multiple platforms, such as Windows, Linux, PlayStation 4, and Android. And as I mentioned, you can use it to port your old XNA games to the current version of Windows. And um, with the old XNA, you could actually run those on Windows. But as of Windows 10, if you try to build your old XNA game, it just won't work anymore. I've tried. It, it, it just doesn't work. So that's one good thing about Monogame. You can <coughs> run your games on Windows 10. Uh, you can use everything in the .NET libraries and components, which is pretty nice. MonoGame is still actively developed by the MonoGame community. I think I checked their site, it looked like it, they were still making releases to it and everything, which is very good. <clears throat> and there's no cost for MonoGame. Uh, you just download it, integrate it into Visual Studio, and you're good to go. Um, it's not like other game development environments where you have a splash screen or something like that forced on your game. Uh, here's some downsides, some cons to Monogame. Uh, there's no concept of a scene or a room, so you have to implement all of the state changes between uh, various, what we would call, scenes in Unity or rooms in GameMaker. You have to implement that all yourself, and I actually created a library a long time ago that would handle doing that for me. Uh Monogame and XNA really weren't created with 3D games in mind. Um, it is possible to make 3D games, but you're not going to find a lot of tools like Unity has where you can just get up and going in a matter of minutes. You have to get down and dirty, and I'm not going to show any 3D examples of Monogame uh, today. That, that'd be a talk for another time. Um So a lot of game development environments like Unity provide some basic GUI components for you, but Monogame does not. So if you want a text box or a button or a checkbox, things like that, you have to implement that by hand. You have to draw the rectangle yourself, and you have to handle detecting when the mouse is over and when the mouse is pressed and all that good stuff. So in a lot of game development environments, you have the concept of a mouse press or a mouse release uh, where it can detect the exact frame when you press that button or like on a gamepad button but uh, monogame and XNA doesn't have a concept of an event when the mouse goes from up to down so you actually have to keep the state, previous state of your device whether that's the mouse or the gamepad and then figure out when it changes from one state to another yourself and then handle that appropriately. And a lot of things that should be easy for developing a game and uh, other game development environments can be a little bit harder in mono game, such as loading assets. It takes a little bit more setup. It's a few lines of code to like load audio, uh, sprites, fonts, things like that. So just a little bit more difficult. So, I'm going to give a basic overview of installing Monogames. So, first of all, you need to install Visual Studio Community Edition, or you could get the Pro if you want to pay for Pro, but all you need is the free Community Edition if you don't already have it. So, it's at, it's at visualstudio.com, or no, I think it you can go to visualstudio.com or visualstudio.microsoft.com forward slash VS... Community, I'll bring that up here. And you just download it right here, or download Visual Studio and run the installer. It's pretty simple. So you have to use uh, Visual Studio. I'm not sure. Uh, There used to be, like, MonoDevelop. I'm not sure if it still supports that or not or if you have to use Visual Studio. Um, You need to install the Monogame Visual Studio extension, Uh, that's my recommended way of doing it. So what you do is you go into, you can just say continue without code and then you can go to extensions here at the top and manage extensions. Then you just search for monogame in the search bar and then you'll have monogame project templates so you just Install that right there. I already have it installed on my system. You click download and uh, then close Visual Studio and then you'll just click modify to install that. Uh, alternatively you can actually download the mono game Build Yourself. That's a little bit more involved. I haven't tried that, but that is also an option. Uh, here's a getting started guide for getting uh, monogame up and running with Visual Studio. So I'll link that in the meeting notes. So yeah, it tells you exactly what you need to install where to get mono game. I haven't tried Visual Studio Code. I don't know if I'm thinking you should be able to get it running in Visual Studio Code, but I'm not positive about that. So I was just, I was just showing there's some uh, what they call workloads in the Visual Studio installer. So you'll At the least, you'll need to get the .NET Desktop Development Environment. Check that. And the uh, .NET Core Cross-Platform Development. Make sure those two are selected and installed. And you actually install those using, I believe, the... the Win- Visual Studio Installer. So you won't find, this is one thing I had a problem with. I tried to find this in Visual Studio itself, but it's actually in the Visual Studio Installer. So you can just type Visual Studio, and there's a separate Visual Studio Installer. So this is the Visual Studio Installer. It looks like there's a update, and uh, I'm not gonna do updates right now, but Yeah, once you update, then you'll be able to add or remove those different components. Uh, If you're doing things like a UWP or a Universal Windows build, like you're trying to publish to the Xbox One Creators program, things like that, then you'll need the UWP uh, workload or components installed, so you just install those the same way. And there's a additional, couple additional commands that you'll need to run uh, through a command prompt that you can get to by just typing cmd.exe uh, in the run box. Uh, you'll just need to go in and type .net tool install-global.net-mgcb-editor. And then mgcb-editor, space, forward, forward, slash, register. So that's going to enable this thing, this tool called the uh, Monogame uh, Content Builder, I believe. Uh, and that's what you're going to use to be able to import all your assets, such as your sound files and your graphic files and fonts and things like that. So when we want to create a new Monogame project, we just go into Visual Studio, and we can just start it up. Visual, I'm using Visual Studio 2019, which I, I believe is the latest at this time. So I'm gonna create a new project, then we'll select a monogame cross-platform desktop application, OpenGL, then press next and then we're just going to select the location this is fine game 1 click create, create. Oh, well let's call it game 2 <laughs> create and one really nice thing about mono game is it gives you a working game out of the box so i can just press the green triangle at the top and you got to you got to build. It's not really a game, but you, you can get something to run right out of the box. Uh, I remember uh, this color is called Cornflower Blue, so a lot of developers used to say, it's like, okay, if you can get a Cornflower Blue screen up and running, you're doing good. Um, so, yeah. So, if you do get an error when you press run on when you're first time building your game, If you get a component assembly error, that means you didn't install all the components that I mentioned earlier. So, if that happens, go back and install the components. So, yeah, this is what I just talked about. The first time you try to build uh, a game, it may take a minute or two. That's what it did for me. Um, I guess there's just a lot of files in the background that need to be compiled. But every game after that, it's been really snappy for me. As I mentioned, the cornflower blue screen should pop up so so in your solution explorer you should be able to click on content and then there should be a content.mgcB. if if you double click in it and it doesn't pop up this editor then you'll have to go back and register that content type, the MGCB extension, which I, there are steps that I mentioned earlier how to do that, those two lines of code in the command line, Windows command line. So That's what you're going to use to import all your fonts, images, and sounds. Um, and that's what I mentioned right here. Um, there is a bug in the latest version, so you may have to uh, add the full MgCB editor uh, using the full path and then set as default so if it's not working you may need to check that out. Yeah properties and full path right here you may have to set that manually. So the first thing we want to do is display some text on the screen, you can do that by creating a, what they call a Sprite font. It's pretty simple to do. You just click this Add New Item, and then you click Sprite Font Description, give it a name, such as My Font, then you click Create, then you click Save, and then you can go to your uh, new font, and just double-click it, Font, my, my Font, Sprite Font, then you can change the font, style right here, you can change the size, let's make it 36, and spacing, and a lot of different options. So you do have to edit this XML, so it isn't too hard to edit XML if you know HTML and other uh, markup languages like that. So all you really gotta do is go into your game file, and then you create a new font, new sprite font, so you can say sprite font, my font. And then in your load content method method you're going to say my font gets content.load and put sprite font within angled brackets then the name of your font which is my font Then in the draw method I'm just going to copy this code right here So in your draw method, you just add the code to draw your font, then press go. Then you get hello world! So it's pretty nice. It keeps all your font stuff in one file. So if we want to modify the font, we can make it like 72. Save that. Run it again. And it makes it bigger. So... I mentioned a couple of methods earlier. So every game file has a constructor, which is the same. The method name is the same name as the class. So if your class is called game two, then your constructor is going to be game two, open and close, um, parens, and that's called when the object is instantiated. Uh, there's a method called initialized, and it's called on start. and I'm not sure I think, don't quote me on this, but I believe that the constructor is created when the object is instantiated, but initialize isn't called until all objects are instantiated? That's my guess. But it seems like initialize and the constructor kind of work in the same way. They're called at the start of the game or whenever that object is created. Uh, there's a load content method, so that's where you put in all your code to load in your assets, such as your fonts and your sprites and all that. I think you might be able to put your loading code in initialize, but the standard that everyone has been using for XNA and monogame is to put your loads in load content. So if you're working on another game, you know where to find all that those content load methods all the content load code. Uh, There's an update method which is called on every frame. Uh, This is where you put in your code to handle uh, your game logic and to handle your input from your various uh, devices such as your mouse or gamepad or keyboard. Um, One nice thing is you don't have to handle sleeping. Uh, It automatically handles that for you. I know like in SDL, then you have to like add some code to loop until it's time to process the next frame. And another nice thing, it has this uh, um, object called game time. This is very similar if you're a Unity developer, similar to time.delta time. So you can use that to smooth out movements, because you can't assume that every frame is going to be exactly like 16.66667 milliseconds. Uh, so you can use this time, game time and multiply that by the object speed to smooth that out. So you can have a representation of your of the speed uh, based on seconds instead of frames. And you also have the draw method, and this is where you put all your drawing code. Um, and uh, yeah, so it just keeps your game nice and organized when you follow these conventions. So the first input device I'm going to talk about is the keyboard. But strangely enough, XNA developers probably started out with handling the gamepad first. But I'm going to start with the keyboard because I'm developing on a PC right here. So as I mentioned earlier, you got to track when each key goes up and down. Otherwise, it's just going to detect the key press on every frame. Uh, when you handle, if you want to get input from a keyboard... Uh, As a string, you have to actually handle building that string yourself every time you press a key. And so that's kind of an annoyance of MonoGame, where a lot of other game development environments may already have that built in for you. Um, You can use keyboard.getState to get the current state of the keyboard. You can get any key, whether it's up or down. And you can use state.isKeyDown, then pass in the key that you're trying to find to determine if that key is pressed. So I'll be showing an example a little bit later of how to handle keyboard input, but for now I'm going to go ahead and jump on to uh, over to the gamepad. So this is my Xbox 360 wired gamepad. I think it works with the PlayStation c- controller as well. Haven't tested that myself, but I've loaded in my project. I'll put all this code out there for people to look at. Um, so to handle the gamepad we got to get the status of what button we're looking at so you can use gamepad.getState then pass in the index of the player typically we're just going to assume it's player index one and then you do a dot buttons and then dot then the name of the button you're looking for which is either A, B, X, Y, start left stick like you click on the left stick or right stick for clicking the right stick so what you do is you get the state, then you check whether that equals button state dot pressed or button state dot released. Determine whether it's up or down. Um, there's also trigger values for the two triggers on the back right here. Uh, you can do gamepad.getState, dot get state player index, then dot triggers. Then can either pass in left stick or right stick, and that will give you a value between zero and one, telling you how far that trigger button has been pressed you can also get the value of the thumbsticks on the front right here these these two right here uh, you do gamepad. get state player index whatever the index is one then dot thumbstick then either dot left or dot dot right depending on whether you want the left one which is the one that typically people use to move around. Or the right thumbstick. Then you do dot x or dot y for the x position or y position, and that will give you a value between negative one and one for that axis. So here's the code right here. So I'm going to have a few variables defined for uh, what for each of the statuses. Um, so I'm going to keep those as strings so I can display those to the screen uh, so then in our update i'm going to check each button whether a is pressed b is pressed x y the left shoulder button right shoulder button uh, start left stick right stick and then finally the trigger values from zero to one and also uh, the position of the two thumbsticks i'm going to build. Uh, get all of those values and then store those uh, out to a string. Then, in the draw method, I'm just going to print out those values whether each button is pressed and how far the triggers are pressed, and the position of the thumbsticks. And also, did the D pad. The D pad works similar to a button. So, you can do like dot D pad up to get whether it's up. Uh, D pad dot down to detect if it's down, or some cases it may be up and to the left, so you got eight uh, degrees of freedom in that. So, I'm going to run this gamepad test. So, you see this, and as I press a button, like if I press A, then you're going to see A detected, uh, B, Y, X, and then L1, R1. And you can press multiple buttons at the same time. Start, then the two thumbstick buttons, L3, and r3 right there and also we can move the left stick around we can get those values like all the way to the right it's a one all the way to the left it's a negative one or pretty close to it It looks like it gets to negative .96 so you may have to recalibrate your gamepad if it doesn't go all the way to negative one or one and then the right stick can get the x and y value and I did add some additional code that may be useful for your games uh, to d- determine the uh, de- the angle and degrees of that axis, so if you're trying to move your character around, you can actually get uh, the degrees that the thumbstick is pointed. And that takes a little bit of trigonometry to get that working. Just remember your Sokotoas and and your arc signs and your arc cosines. You can figure that out. But I, I'll put out the code so people have it. And then your D-pad, you can press up down, right, left or up and left and up and right down and right so if you're if you're working on like a menu or something you can detect those values and yeah I mentioned earlier triggers 0 to 1 so that's basically all you need to know to handle a gamepad so the next input is your mouse input and to get the mouse position it's pretty easy just do mouse dot get state then then dot either X or dot Y and that will give you the X position and Y position Uh, you can get the whether it's pressed or released by using mouse dot get state then dot left middle or right middle being your wheel if you click the wheel down and then you uh, check if that's equal to button state pressed or button state released I think you just need to check whether it's pressed You can also get the position of the mouse wheel, so you use mouse.getState, scroll wheel value, and that will give you an integer value based on how far the wheel has been spun since the game started. And if you want to track a click, then as with the gamepad and keyboard, you actually have to keep a copy of the previous state of the mouse to determine when it goes from not pressed to pressed, or when it goes from released to pressed. So you come across that quite a bit in monogame and XNA. So open, project. Let's go back up. Mouse test. Mouse test. So here's the code right here. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm going to store the position of the mouse and have a string that saves the output. Then we're going to have Booleans for whether... Each button is pressed. So in our update, we're gonna get the position of the mouse, store that in as a vector two to make things simple. Then we're gonna store all the states of the buttons as Booleans. Now if we wanna get the click, then then we're gonna have to keep track of the previous state. And you can use that by just creating an instance variable called like previous mouse state and assign uh, the get state to that before you process this. And then after you're done, then you're going to set the previous state to the current state. So you got to do one line of code at the start of your update and one line of code at the end. So you save that previous state for the next frame. So yeah, that's basically code right there. Then we're going to assign the scroll wheel value to an integer. And then in our draw method, then we're just going to draw a string and Print out the position and which buttons are pressed. So mouse test, run that. So we get the mouse position. So if we go all the way up here in the upper left-hand corner, it's 0, 0. It'll, you can actually get a negative value if you go outside the window. So everything's based on that upper leftmost pixel on your game screen, not including the title bar. Then if you go all the way down, then you get the full width and height. And you can actually go outside the window as well so you might want to do some bounce checking checking there so as I click the various buttons you can see they're pressed or released and then if I press the scroll wheel up you can see that integer value going up or down so that's kind of like a cumulative scroll and I think if you like click it three times one two three then that's 360 so it goes in looks like it goes in chunks of 120 at least for my mouse So, if we want to make a simple game, I always like doing, as usual, the number guessing game. So, we're going to declare, I believe, three integers. Uh, It's the secret number, the guess count, and the user's guess. And we've got to have two extra strings for storing the player's guess and then the result because... Unlike other game development environments, you have to remember, because you're displaying everything yourself, uh, you got to remember that value so it persists into the subsequent frames. Uh, You also want to make a random object, and then you get a random value by calling .next, and you can pass in the range, so I use 1 to 100 to... Guess a number between, create a secret number from 1 to 100, which is a little bit e- actually easier than some other game development environments. Some other game development environments, you just can only pass an upper bounds and you add 1 to that to give you 1 to 100. Also have a Boolean for tracking the game state, so when we know when the game is o- over. Also have a restart method, so whenever you want to play again, then you just call restart and it will reinitialize all those values. Uh, and after each guess, we're going to um, increment the guess count, and then we're going to set the result to either higher or lower based on whether the user's guess was higher or lower. So I have all the code right here, and also have it in in the project file. Open number guess. Number guess. Yeah, so here it is right here. It's pretty simple, all the standard stuff. But be aware that we do have to build a string when we're getting input from the keyboard, and you got to do some fancy code to detect whether what key is pressed, such as keys.d0. So I do a keys.d0 plus i to determine what number on the keyboard is pressed from 0 to 9. Then I just add that value to the string of the user's guess. Then if they press back, then I just delete off the end of that string. Then when they press enter, then we're going to process that guess. So we're going to call check guess, then parse that string as an integer. And then we're just going to print out uh, the user's guess, and whether it was higher or lower. And here's where we're processing the guess right here, the check guess. So if the Guess equals, the secret number, and then we're going to press print out correct, and then the total guesses. So let's run this. So guess between 1 and 100. I'm going to say 50, lower. So pick 25, lower. Pick 12, higher. Let's pick 18, lower. Let's pick 15, higher. Let's pick 16, higher. 17, hey, correct. 7 total guesses. So then if I press enter, then it starts to game over again because it calls that reset method. So let's say 50 higher, 60 higher, 70 higher, 80 lower, 75 lower, 72. 6 total guesses. So I actually did better that time by using a less, less than accurate algorithm, just incremented by 10. <clears throat> so that's a simple number guessing game right there. So that's a game. All you need to make a game. So, but text based games really aren't that fun. So, we want to display some images. So, here's how you create an image we're going to go into that content editor, double click that, and let's go ahead and open the new project, project, then demos, and I'll just call this smile. So I created this goofy little smiley face. So you go into the content editor, or content builder, and just pick, an, uh, you want to add an existing item with the green plus in the menu bar. Then you just pick the PNG right there, and then press open. I'm not going to do it right there, but that will add that to your content. So then in your game, all you want to do is go to load content, and you define a sprite no texture2d, and assign that te- texture2d. You want to assign content.load text in, in angled brackets, pass in the texture2d type, then pass in the name of the, the PNG or whatever graphics file you want to load. Then we display it by just doing, using spritebatch.draw, and that's draw with a capital D. Then you pass in the texture2d comma, then the attributes the rectangle for the uh, sprite. So you can actually stretch it and do some clipping and things like that by changing the x and y. The x and y value, I believe, is the position, then width and height. So I think it either stretches or clips it. I'm not, not exactly. We can actually check that out, actually. But I'll go ahead and run this right here. So there's my little smiley face right there. So let's say we make the width times two. See what this does. Smile. See if it stretches it. Yeah, so it stretches it and makes it twice the size. So you can actually do some pretty neat things like make a character expand and contract and things like that pretty easily uh, in mono game. But I don't want to save that. So to play sound, it's very similar to loading in a graphics file so I got a sound test right here so you just go into your uh, MGCB editor by clicking double-clicking content MGCB and we do the same thing we just do use add an existing item you can also add an existing folder if you have a bunch of them in one folder you can do them all at one time so you say add existing item, and then you pick your WAV files or whatever. I think you can do AUGs and other things. Um, so you just load those in. Then you load all those in your load content method. I just keep a uh, list of sound effects and just load them all into the list. So I have a bunch of different sound effects. got nine of them, nine or ten of them, one for each numeric key. So whenever a key is pressed, then I'm going to play... The associated sound uh, in the list at that list index. Uh, so I'm just going to have a simple press n- number to play right there. And yeah, let's go ahead and run it. So press a number to play sounds. Is this play? I might be kind of loud, but I'm pressing different numbers on the keyboard. And by the way, actually uh, created these sound effects in BXFR, which is a free sound effects creator. So it's pretty easy to play sound. You just use sounds, then I just reference that index in the list, and you just call .play. It's pretty simple for sound effects. Music is a little bit different. and um, can be a little bit confusing. File, open, project... Music test, music test. So music is stored as a song type. It's not music, it's not a sound effect. And you load it load it the same way using the content uh, editor uh, and you use add existing item the same way, mp3. Now one thing you gotta watch out for, and I believe I have a note in here is if you want to use a WAV file as a music file, then you got to go into the properties down here and set the processor to song, because WAV files by default will import as a sound effect. So if you try to load it in as a sound effect and load it into a song object, then it won't be happy. But by default, MP3s, they they import as song objects, so you don't have to worry about that. So this is pretty simple. You, you use this, uh, it's kind of like a class right here, media player, and you just call directly on the media player dot play, then pass in the reference to your song. And you load in the content for the song in the same way, using content dot load. Use your angle brackets to tell it it's a song type, then pass in the name of your song that you want to play. And you can also use media player. It has a few different... Properties you can set I I use dot volume to turn the volume down to half so you can actually control how loud it is So with let's start Yeah, so that's all you have to do play sound uh, I believe you can also use yeah, mediaplayer.stop to stop the currently playing sound. And then if you want to play another song, then you can uh, just pass in the, the next song that you want to play. I think there's a way to queue up multiple songs, but I haven't figured out how to do that. So if you really want to do that, you can look up and figure out how to do that. So here's my Simple Space Shooter. I've went through this plenty of times before, but it's good to go ahead and do it one more time. So the first step that you want to do is create a ship class and assign a sprite to that. And just get it displayed on the screen. And I've created this project in multiple different states so we can show how to build this game. So open project, and it's under demo simple shooter. So here's simple shooter one, let's open that. So it's pretty easy, I just got a ship PNG, and then I got a ship CS right here with all the properties of a ship, like an X position, a Y position. And I also always try to have a reference to the main game manager if I need to refer back to the main game manager. But I set the properties, and the width and height, and then I have a draw method. I always like having a draw method for each object, so the object knows how to draw itself. Um, And then in the game manager class, which is kind of like the main game class, then uh, I just loop, have an instance of the ship, and then tell the ship to draw itself, and I tell the ship to update itself as well, which makes things pretty easy. So here we go, let's run the simple shooter. And right now, yeah, we just got it on the screen. If you press buttons, it, it doesn't do anything. But that's the first step when you're making a game. <laughs> just just get it to display to the screen. So in the next step, file, open, project, simple shooter 2. Double-click on that. So this is getting the ship to move around. So in the update method, we're going to handle... Handle the keyboard, so this is a keyboard-based game. So we're going to check each of the uh, letter kit, the A S D F or A S D W keys for going up, down, left, right. And if you really wanted to, you could add the up key and down key, and add gamepad support and all that. Uh, But that's an exercise to the student. So let's go simple shooter, run it. So yeah, now I got it where it moves left and right and up and down, but it doesn't stop. It just keeps on going forever, and it doesn't do any bounce checking. So once you get to the top, then you just keep on going until you press down again. <laughs> so it's good to add some balance checking. Or, like in some games, if you go all the way to the left, you can make it scroll over to the right side just by adding or subtracting the screen width. Yeah, so that's basically it. Let's look at Ship. Um, yeah, so I have the update, so I keep track of the velocity, X and Y velocity of the ship, and pressing one of the, uh, movement keys changes the velocity of the ship, then we use that. I like to keep defining unit size, so I'm not working in pixels, so I have a unit size as a constant set to 64, so I consider 64 to be one unit, uh, kind of like in the old NES games where you have, like, one, uh, one sprite, like which would be like eight by eight, but with the screen resolution, I'm just gonna use 64 by 64. That way we're not working with with pixels, but we're gonna store all these floats anyway, so um, it just makes things easier to compute. And then I also use that delta time value that I get from the game manager, so I smooth out uh, the movement. So let's say I wanna move two units per second, then I just say two times unit size, times delta time so it's going to move it two units in a second that's a lot easier to work with and dealing with pixels and all that in my opinion you can work with pixels if you want to but i prefer not to um so yeah and this we also got it where when you lift the key i think that was in the input so we say when it's Key is down, then we set the velocity to the appropriate velocity. But uh, yeah, I guess I don't. Maybe that's for the next one. When you let the key up, then you want to set that velocity back down to zero. So, the next thing we want to do is add an enemy and get the enemy moving back and forth. So, file, open, project, and that's simple shooter three. So, we're going to have an enemy class. Enemy is going to be similar to a ship. It's going to have an X and Y position and a width and a height. It's going to have a speed value. And then we're just going to flip that speed from positive to negative as a velocity uh, after a certain countdown. So it's going to go back and forth. Um, so yeah, let's just try running this. So we got our enemy up there. He just moves back and forth. It really doesn't do much of anything. And if you collide into him, it's not going to do anything. So... That's the next step is just getting one enemy moving on the screen. Um, Let's go back to game manager. Yeah, so I just have one ship and one enemy. Good way to get started right there. So the next step we want to add a bullet and we want to instantiate the bullet on key press. So let's go file, open, project, simple shooter 4. So we got our new bullet object, and it's just going to be this little simple circle that I created. Um, it's going to have an X and Y width and height. It's going to have a speed. We're going to set the speed to 8, so that's 8 uh, units a second. It's going to be pretty speedy here. going to have an X and a Y. velocity. The X velocity is just going to be 0. We're going to assume the bullet's going to go straight up the screen, so when you go straight up in the Y direction, that you're going to have a negative velocity, so that's going to be negative speed. We're going to set a lifetime value just so once the bullet goes off the screen or after a set period of time, it's going to clean itself up. We have the is alive flag, so that's going to actually determine whether the bullet is still active or not. So either is alive is going to get set to false, or it's going to reach that lifetime value. So that's like if it totally misses everything and goes off screen after that lifetime expires, then it's going to set is alive to false and then clean that up so we've got a draw method for drawing the bullet and update it's just going to increment the x and y value so x is just going to be zero but this gives us the opportunity like in my other game that i created if you want to do a sine wave or have the bullet go off in uh, an oblique or something you can do that by changing that, that x value so yeah this is where we have the lifetime is greater than five seconds Then we're going to set is alive false. And we're going to increment that lifetime by delta time for each frame. Let's go ahead and run this. So moving around, got the enemy up here. Then when I press space, then it's going to start shooting bullets. But the bullets aren't going to do anything yet. So the next thing is to detect collision between the bullet and the enemy. And then when the enemy is hit, set the alive flags on the bullet and the enemy to fall so whenever the bullet collides with the enemy then we don't want the bullet to keep going on forever unless it's like some sort of super bullet or something uh, and that might be some power-up or something that you can add I believe we're on six right here so to do the collision I got that in update right here if it's live um, let's see here that's for ship bullet update so we're going to get the enemy from the game manager then we're going to do get rectangle on the bullet to get the current rectangle of the bullet then we're going to use dot intersects to detect rectangle collision and then we're going to pass in the enemy's rectangle and get rectangle is a method that i created which basically returns a new rectangle object with the current bullet's x y width and height. Now, what I probably should have done is made like an interface or something. So multiple different objects such as the enemy, the ship, and the bullet would implement a get rectangle uh, method. So then that way I wouldn't have to create this method for everything. I could just say like implements or I forget the exact syntax in C sharp, but it's implements in Java. Uh, so I wouldn't have to redefine this get rectangle in every, uh, Every class. But yeah, you just basically, basically say dot intersects and pass in the enemy's rectangle. Then if it does intersect with the enemy's rectangle, then we're going to set enemy is alive to false. And I should set bullet is alive to false too. Maybe that's a later step. So let's run this. I'm going to shoot. Yep. So the, enemy, the bullet persists because we didn't set the bullet to false. Alive to false. Then if we check our enemy update, If the enemy is alive, then we're going to process it. Uh, We also have enemy collision with the player. So if you play that, then when the player collides with the enemy, then the player dies. It's very similar to the bullet right there. You just say intersect. Get the current rectangle for the enemy. Dot intersects with the player's rectangle. Then we're going to set ship alive to false. So that quits drawing the ship and quits processing the ship. So if we look at the ship right here and update, we're going to say is if it's alive and update, and then we're going to update the enemy or update the ship. But if it isn't, then we're just not going to do anything. And the same with the draw. We're only going to draw it if the ship is alive. And then we worry about cleaning up the memory later. But So if we look in Game Manager... Yeah, so I went and created a a list of bullets as well. So we have multiple bullets. Then as uh, the bullet goes to is a lie, false, then we just remove those bullets from the bullet list. So then the final state is file, open, project, simple shooter, is adding multiple enemies. So now instead of just having one enemy, we have a list of enemies. And I have some code in the initialize method for creating multiple enemies and spacing those out. So you can see for i is 1 to 20. So we're going to make each row have five enemies. We use that by using modulo and divide uh, to set the, the enemies appropriately. And then we have a list of bullets. So let's play this. So there's our multiple enemies right there. And then we can shoot them. The bullet dies when it collides. The enemy dies when it collides. Not a really fun game, but it shows all the concepts you need to make a game. You'd really want to have the enemies start coming down toward the ship after a certain period of time to make it a little bit more interesting. So yeah, that's just simple shooter right there. Some additional things you could add to this is a game overstate, add a point system, add music and sound effects whenever you shoot or whenever you crash, and um, and add, add music. So yeah, this is probably the part that everybody's been waiting for, is converting a game from XNA to monogame. So I actually created a Word document, uh, XNA to monogame, and I'll post this as well, but I think I just want to keep this separate from the presentation as a separate guide. But what you do, and I had one game that I converted to mono game, my ttygfx GFX Adventure, I converted that a few years ago. But recently I converted my first XNA game that I created, Resistor, over to mono game as well. Uh, with the ttygfx GFX Adventure, is a little bit more tricky... Because it used a custom DLL that I created. It's just an XNA DLL. But if you have a custom DLL, then you have to recreate that DLL in Monogame. It's pretty simple. There's a DLL type in here. Just go to File, Open. uh, Actually, go to File, New Project. And there'll be a... It's called Monogame Net Standard Library. That's the one you want to use for creating the DLL custom DLL. So file open project. Let's go back. See, so don't do all my tests, mouse. Yeah, game. Okay, sound test. Okay. XNA. So I'm going to my TTY GFX Adventure mono game. Open this right here, and this is just to show that it works. So this is the RPG that I created for Xbox 360 a long time ago. Just click run. And you do have to like redo your fonts and everything, which I'll talk about in a minute. There is specific code that you have to use to make the screen bigger. Um, and all that's in here. I think it's uh, like a viewport or something. Oh yeah, you use graphics dot preferred back buffer width and graphics preferred back buffer height to change the screen size in a window. Then you use graphics.apply changes, and that needs to be in your initialize method right there. So the process for converting this game. You want to create a new mono game cross-platform desktop. So Let's see if I can walk through this. So I'm going to file. I should maybe just do my resistor game. So open project, monogame, XNA. So uh, I want resistor right here. It's resistor solution right there. So yeah, all this says incompatible. So what we want to do is go file new project create a new mono game next and then we just call this resistor uh mono mono game create so I'm going to walk through the steps here from my guide. We should have a working. So the reason I'm doing resistor instead of T2YGFX Adventure is because it doesn't use a a custom DLL, so I don't have to worry about the DLLs. But I do have notes in here about how to handle the DLLs. And by the way, this is for converting an XNA 4.0 game to mono game. I think there's some issues converting the XNA 3 game. So to be able to convert it to mono game, you need to upgrade your game to uh, XNA 4.0. At least that's what I've read. Don't try to do an XNA 3 game. So yeah, I got my base basic game, resistor MonoGame. So if we run it, we're going to get the cornflower blue. So what we want to do is add all the source code files. So we want to right-click the project name in Solution Explorer, then add existing item. So now we want to go to our source code. Let's go to DLD Smith presentations monogame. XNA, so we're just going to use the original XNA, go to resistor, resistor, then here's all our CS files. So I'm going to go here, and I'm going to click all these, then I'm going to click add. So we want to overwrite, because it already has a game one and all that in there. So we got all our CS files in there. Uh, we click overwrite. So now we want to start the MGCB editor so go expand content in obj double click the content.mgcb then we want to add existing item and then we want to go to our let's see here let's go back to d Ellie smith presentations Mm, MonoGame XNA Resistor. Now we want to go to the project name Resistor, then Resistor Content. Then we want to Shift Click all of our files except for the Content .dot Content P-R-O-G-A. That should get all the files. Then we want to use the same option, then copy to directory. So we want to say add. So that gets all our fonts, all our image files, all our sound files, all our music. So we want to click save. And by the way, there may be some cleanup you have to do with some of these files. You don't want to include the OBJ folder, or the you know, content project file. Um, yeah, leave copy the file to directory selected, and use the same action. Press add. If you do have subfolders, then you got to create a subfolder under the project. Add new folder. I don't think I had any for this game. Let's double check. I want to add... Yeah, so this one doesn't have any, but if you had extra folders in here, like for music and sounds, and you gotta manually create that file structure yourself, and then import those files into those directories. A little bit little bit of work there. Um, if you used it, like I mentioned earlier, if you used any WAV files for songs, so I have the sound effects, what about the songs? You should call those M-U-S or something like that. Sound effects. Okay, music. Okay, so this is one where I did have the music stored as WAV file. So let's click on content, MGCB, go down to our music. So stage one, want that to be a song, music title, want that to be a song, music trial. Want that to be a song, music winner. Want that to be a song. Then press save, save that. <laughs> then, yeah, for some reason in this game, I did something where the content names don't actually match the names of the files. So you gotta go into the main game, which is, I believe, Resistor game then go into the load it might actually be no not that content.load yeah there we go Might be able to change them here, which would be easier. So, you can either change it in the code or change it in the file name. So, SEO9 actually points to SEO9A. So, I'm going to get rid of the As after these. So, that's something you got to watch out for. I'm not sure how those got disconnected. I think you can actually go in there and I think in the old X and A you could change the value of the content item, the name of the content item, to something different than the file name. That's where that gets messed up. But I think there's only like two, maybe more. We'll see when we try to run this. One thing you gotta watch out for is you gotta install any missing fonts in the dot .sprite font file. So you may wanna click on each of your Sprite fonts. Like this uses Segoe. UI Mono, which may not be in your game. This also uses uh, Motorwork, I believe. Sprite font 2, Mono. If you use uh, a lot of those old XNA fonts, there was like a package of fonts uh, that they provided all XNA developers. They had some pretty classic fonts in there, like Motorwork. And uh, I was actually able to find those fonts, or I found it on one of my old systems, so I'll post that out there along with this code in case you used one of those really old XNA fonts. They're just TTF fonts, but you do have to have them installed on your system to be able to use them. It's in this uh, redistributable TTFs archives 3 underscore 1.zip. So the name of the file was redistributable, so. I think you're cool to use those old fonts. Um, yeah, don't import the content PROJ files. If you do, delete those. Uh, you got to remove these existing statements from your source code. So what I do is I do a uh, edit, find and replace, and replace in files. Then I just copy, just look for the Gamer Services. So copy that. Paste it in there. Make sure you don't get that dot in there. Replace it with nothing, just blank. So I want to do Replace All. Let's see if that works. So five occurrences replaced. Okay. So if you see little red bars in your code next to the scroll bar, that's because something these... These libraries don't exist in MonoGame. MonoGame implements a lot of things, but it doesn't implement like trial mode for Xbox or or, or your avatar. Maybe, yeah, I don't think it does like avatars and stuff like that. So anything, all that Xbox 360 specific stuff, you have to remove or handle it somehow. So then you got to remove these references to gamer services, storage. So if you're writing to a file, this is one downside. If you're writing to a file, then you got to come up with some other way to save your game. Because uh, Monogame does not support storage device or gamer service component or guide. That's another one. It doesn't support the Xbox 360 guide or signed-in gamer. But the one thing, by deleting, and you want to save all your files. So typically, I just go through there and delete all all the code that uses those. I mean, it's pretty easy. One thing you can do is just, like, press to run your game. Then it'll say there's build there. This is probably the simplest way. (laughs) Not the most elegant, but you don't want to run the latest build. Then you can just, like, look and see what it's complaining about. So here's... It's complaining about storage. So... I thought I did a, yeah, we can do a global replace on storage, but we may not want to do that. We can just uh, comment that one out. Actually, we can just remove it. I'll add that as a note to remove the storage using storage. So yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, (coughs) edit Find and replace, replace in files, storage, replace with nothing, replace all. So it replaced two occurrences of that. Let's so save all. Save our guide. Let's try to run it. So storage device cannot be found. This is where we start commenting out stuff because we don't want to do. We don't want to handle all this stuff. So, begin load game. We don't want to show selector. That's odd. Storage device, get device. I'm gonna comment all this out. That's the easiest way to do it. Load game. Just comment all this out. So this is a game that did use game saves, but I just want to run it without game saves. Reset game data. it's comment all this out. Save game. Just comment all this out. And there is a search and replace we can use for hiding the guide. So one thing we want to do is, we want to do a global replace, F- edit, find and replace, replacing files. So we want to replace guide is visible with false. Oops. Guide is visible, replace that with false, because we never do want to check if the guide is is visible. Or if, if we do a check for guide is visible, we just want to ignore it. So we just want to replace all those. So there's five occurrences of that. Then guide is trial mode, replacing files. We just want to set all checks for guide is trial mode to false. So four occurrences of that. Press save. Then, if you are using a game that uses a DLL, I have uh, an explanation of how to rebuild your DLL right there. See if this runs. Gamer services component. We just want to comment out Gamer services component. So, yeah, this is the easiest way just to run it, see what breaks. Signed in gamer. So we want to just ignore signed in gamer. Run it. No. So this is another content thing right here, se09.wave. So, resistor game. Let's go back up, fix it. I thought I already fixed it. Yeah, SE. Maybe I should have just left that. SE09A. SE10A. Run that. No. Oh, maybe it really does need to be. SE09A. C ten rename a see if it still complains. Okay. Program does not contain a static main method. So here's the line right here in program.cs then we need to, this is always going to be false. So there's two ways to handle this. You can just delete this directive if Windows or Xbox, or what, probably the more elegant way to handle it is go into uh, project, project name properties, and then click the build tab, then conditional compilation symbols, and we can just add Windows right there go ahead and press save so now if we look at program CS then it's enabled so resistor mono game Uh I think this is because music trial content was not found so let's double check music trial Maybe I missed one. Oh, Music Trial 2. So sometimes these content things get unsynchronized. So let's just change this. So we can't change the name. There it's... So let's look for Music Trial, which I'm not even using, but... Let's just put a two there. Run it. Hey, we got a, we got a working resistor game. Now I know there is a problem with this, and it only works on under GamePad because I never did implement keyboard controllers. So if we press Start Game, it's going to say Choose your storage device, which we're not doing game saves. So to handle that may take me a minute to get this working. I'm just gonna say has loaded to true. So we're just gonna assume that the records are loaded. So now we got a working game playing with the controllers. Now, the only downside is you can't select your level and it doesn't save your levels. Level, 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 complete. But on the bright side is you do have a working game and you can play through all the, the levels just getting this working so far, but. Level, 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 complete. So if you really wanted to, you could go back and add the level, uh, the game saves and, and select level select and level all that. Complete. Yeah, so that's basically it. That's the conversion of a Xbox 360 XNA game to mono game. The only difference with the tty gfx adventure game is you just go into dependencies i'll go ahead and show it right here file open project tty gfx adventure solution and in this one you have dependencies and i believe it's a is it a framework or some yes yeah, so i have this thing called resistor kit so this really handled the switching between screens and things like that so you can expand resistor kit and you can probably see it in here i created something called jukebox where you can play different songs a uh, screen switching tool some things to handle like zooming strings and text and drawing outlines, a gamepad handler on a game menu um, so yeah, that used that DLL so I have to link in that to the uh, dependencies and you can, I think it's just to add project reference you can browse somehow browse, then you just find that DLL Game XNA. So here's the resistor kit right here. So I think it's in the bin, bin debug. Yeah, resistorkit.dll. And you can just add it right there. Okay, so it may add it twice, I'm not sure. i surprised it didn't complain. Um, but yeah, building the DLL is the same way. Just use that, that DLL option when you create a new project. File, new, project. You wanna use the monogame net standard library, next. Create. And then you just load in all your code right here. Game. Add existing item. Then Elie Smith. Then you can go to the resistor. My I called it resistor kit. Then grab all your CS files. Add. So now you got them all in your library and just do build, build solution. Yeah, so you have to go through your DLLs and delete out anything that refers to gamer services or guides and all that. Yeah, so that's basically it. I have some references there, resources. I'll share those links. uh, Yeah, that's going to be it for September 2020. And plan- I'm planning on do- doing Ludum Dare in October. It's coming up early in October. Go to LDJam.com. Not sure if this is up. In- yeah, it's in eight days. Wow, I am not sure. Yeah, it's coming up in eight days. So I'm not sure if we're going to have a kickoff. It might be just a small group of friends that we get together just because of the way things are right now. and the weirdness with all the different rules at different places and everything so it might just be a uh, kind of just a small event this time which it hasn't ever been a huge event anyway (laughs) but uh, yeah anyone out there is interested especially in the Tennessee area in participating in in Ludum Dari it's a game jam over 48 hours where you create a game from scratch or you can use pre-existing assets if you compete in the 72 hour version but I've been doing this since, I think, 2013? Sometime around then. I've been participating since Ludum Dare 26. I'll just say that. I can't remember if that was 2012 or 2013 or, or what year that was. But it's been a long time since I've been doing this. And a lot of us in the Knox Game Design Group have been doing this as well. So, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully we'll have some games created in the Knox area for Ludum Dare 47. So... As always, check out noxgamedesign.org You can find all the latest videos and all the podcasts and all our tutorials and references and presentation slides and things like that. So if you're looking for like the one last month on BBS games and ANSI graphics, all that's up there. Uh, So yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for September 2020. Appreciate everyone listening and watching.